Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 296. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki season two, episode four, Heart of the TVA, directed by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, written by Eric Martin and Catherine Blair. And you see, Loki, of course, was created for television by Michael Waldron, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before we begin our spoiler review, want to remind you and let you know once again about Fanshow Plus, the podcast that is exclusive for premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. Those episodes are right there in the same Apple Podcast feed where you see this episode. You just need to subscribe via Apple Podcast subscriptions and you can hear those episodes where we talk about extra MCU news topics and where I also am giving my Loki episode first impressions as these episodes drop on Thursday nights. So make sure you check that out again on Apple Podcasts or patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Also be sure to follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. It makes a difference for the podcasts you love. So thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now... On with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing very well, thank you. It's uh, another cold, cold, cold morning. It's actually freezing, technically. It's like 29 degrees, 30 degrees, which is, I guess is technically freezing for not everyone, technically, or for some people in the Midwest when it gets really cold, but that's pretty cold for over here. So, uh, yeah, my walks have been uh, now with gloves and a hat. So that's been uh, that's been fun, but uh, but yeah, fall Halloween. This is this is like some of the, my my favorite times of the year. So I'm I'm just enjoying and embracing it. Yeah, and I mean you get super sweet throwback Seattle Seahawks unis this week. So that's oh, uh, beautiful. That's also they're exciting. Beautiful. That's more exciting than you know hoodies and gloves and stuff. So well, I, that's fair. Yeah. I mean it's close though. It's close. Yeah, close. No, not a whole lot of fall weather here yet at night in the early morning. You feel some of it, but still also relatively warm here in uh, in Los Angeles. But this is not a weather podcast, so we'll quickly move on to Loki season two, episode four, part of the TVA, and uh, certainly saw a, a lot of reactions to this, and I wasn't surprised by that based on the way. This episode ends, and I share those reactions and rambled my way through my reaction on first impressions via Fanshow Plus uh, for this episode. And really, as I went moved on from those first impressions to rewatching the episode a couple more times, I was already a big fan of the episode, but it just got better and better. I feel like this is an episode that did such a good job of showcasing. A lot of the things that we are speaking for myself, I have really loved about Loki from all the crazy, trippy time travel weirdness of the whole thing to the very emotional, introspective scenes for the characters to a lot of the charm and humor that has been a part of this show. It was all there. All the different things that I have enjoyed about this series over the course of the first season and the first few episodes of this second season, it was all rolled into one, and it was some of the mm. the best of Loki all in this one episode. Um, I thought mm. it was really, really great. And then by the time you get to the impact of this episode, or what we at least for now perceive and believe perceive as and believe to be the impact, I believe Paul, the technical term for an episode such as this is a doozy. I think that's probably the mm. best uh, term that I could come up with for it. 
I really love this one. What do you think? I, you know, I'm not going to steal your thunder. I'm going to save your piece, but I'm, I'm just going to go off of what you kind of said pre-show a little bit, just a, just a minute before we started recording, because I was going to say this for my opener, and you kind of, you're kind of, you're already touching a little bit on what I was going to say. I would say this, this was definitely a doozy for the record. Um, I think it's an accurate uh, yeah, description. I think now when you look up the word doozy for the definition, it'll just be the title of this episode, Loki season two, episode four, Heart of the TVA. What I, what I will say is, and and I, as I watched it, and I'll give a little, little, little history of what I'm trying to explain here, a little story. Uh, I was watching the episode. I was having a hell of a time with my internet. And I this is why I love physical media, Sean, because this is being a complete a-hole to me all night. And it was looking like, crap well, in two and a half years you're gonna love this episode that's fine that's fine uh but no but like in all seriousness i mean i again rewatch these episodes is really tough for me so i'm like you know trying to fix things trying to get this all worked out you know and i'm just like i'm trying to eat my dinner and like not throw my remote at my tv and the episode it kind of starts off very much like it's there's there's a there's an urgency but it's like a very like calming urgency if that makes any sense what i mean by that is that there's there's just there's kind of slow building mm-hmm. and there's not like anything going on right like as far as like like intensity it's a kind of a building intensity so it kind of lulls you into this false sense of security a little bit at least for me and that's what i would say about this episode is that it kind of lulls you into the, like oh it's going to be one of those like kind of let's kind of get it all together kind of thing you had obviously the the reveal you know at the beginning which is interesting yeah. well but it looks like the it just looks like the start of ravona renslayer and exactly. miss minutes exactly and then it so you're like okay this is the thing that they're kicking off here and over the course of the next few episodes we will see what they're trying to do but no they launched their full-scale assault in this episode with yeah. uh, with dire consequences it's it's pretty incredible in terms of what this episode did of what the things that you think are a sl- might be starting a slow burn. No, it's already been happening. And what you've seen is already part of it. We're yeah. really ratcheting things up now. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, even with the, like the flashback, I was expecting a lot more of a dramatic like sequence, you know, or not dramatic sequence, but actual like cut to a, a like a actual like, you know, flashback instead of just like a it's, weird. It's literally my one like which well might as well get it over with it's my one criticism of this episode um mm. and we might as well spell it out for what we're talking about so we we open this episode at the citadel at the end of time and it is exactly what miss minutes was teasing at the end of last week's episode the secret for ravona renslayer that secret that once she learns the truth it's going to make her real angry and we were talking about this last week that it would probably go back to the recording that Loki heard when he was time slipping into the past. And indeed, that's what it is. Except Miss Min- when Miss Minutes plays it for Ravona Renslayer, she gets the whole thing. And she also gets video or what qualifies as, as video in the way Miss Minutes displays it, not just the audio. And it is the we see what happened. It is after the multiversal war has been won. It's he who remains. And it is Hunter Renslayer. At the Citadel at the end of time, they've created this utopia at the end of time for themselves to celebrate and enjoy their victory. But of course, there will still be work done needing to be done at the TVA to maintain it. And Ravona is ready to go back and tell the troops what needs to happen from that point on. 
And he who remains goes ahead and tells her to go ahead without him and he'll catch up. And we know exactly where that's going. He summons Miss Minutes to initiate what they call not Order 66, Protocol 42 for Loki language. And it is a memory wipe, not just for Ravona Renslayer, but everybody there in the TVA. And we knew everybody had their memory wiped. And Ravona Renslayer, as she's watching the video, is talking about how, you know, concluding that she helped. And then Miss Minutes clarifies that she didn't just help, she commanded the army that won the multiversal war. So really, Ravona Renslayer was instrumental in He Who Remains getting to the end of time, but then also was back in the TVA helping him stay there. He sat on the throne while she did all the work to keep him there. And that is the secret. It played out much as we expected that she helped and or did a lot more than just help and was an instrumental figure in He Who Remains winning the multiversal war, ending up at the Citadel at the end of time. And then, of course, she didn't get any of the credit. She didn't get to enjoy any of the any of the spoils of that victory. She just became another cog in the TVA like everybody else and had her memory wiped. So she was basically essentially cheated by He Who Remains. And what I liked about this, Paul, is I do like that you teased a big secret. Might as well come right out with it so we can react to it and we can have the characters react to it and let the story unfold from there. So I did appreciate it from a pacing perspective. It's simple and understandable enough as motivation for the character going forward for Ravona Renslayer. And I also, quick side note, I love the visual of this, Paul. I loved watching how the, we kind of saw from the inside how the Citadel was crumbling last week. I love seeing the way it looks from the outside. And also if we go back to the season one finale, that nice neat ring of the sacred timeline around the Citadel is now just a total mess that is all around enveloping the Citadel. So that part I like from a visual perspective. I, I think my one, um, my one, I, I maybe even nitpick or slightly more than a nitpick, Paul, is kind of what you mentioned. I could have, I, I would have liked some more specific detail on this, uh, like I in her contribution. Like I know that means a lot, and I know the words signify a great effort to be the one who commands the army. But I was also hoping for something a little more specific that really spelled out what Ravona Renslayer did that no one else could have done. And, you know, something that really set her apart in terms of her ability, her, you know, what her strat, her strategic thinking. And I know that she's pretty good at that. So I would have loved to see that spelled out in a more doesn't have to be totally granular, but I would like something a little bit more specific in terms of her contribution. And I'm not saying that they didn't say what her contribution was. It's there, but it's very, very broad. And I could have used just a little something a little bit more specific to uh, to really go with it that I think really would have just locked in not only how instrumental she was, but then just how much she was cheated by he who remained. So I appreciated the pacing of it, but at the same time, if they added an extra 30 seconds to this scene to really drill down more of what Ravona Renslayer had done, uh, that I think would have helped it just a bit more. Yeah, I, really quickly, I want to kind of just kind of go back to what I was saying about this episode is that this episode starts off kind of very, like you said, like lulls you and then it kind of just, it, by the time it gets to the end of it, I'm just, it, it, it sets you up is what I'm trying to say. It sets you up for a giant, like what the F and, and it's earned. And I think you kind of start off with the scene, right? And I think what's interesting is that they kind of downplay even that scene. And I, I almost feels intentional. And I, even though I, 
I could go either way on it. I think I totally see your point, and I, I, but I like the creative idea of the way they looked at that whole scene. But it feels, it does feel like there's more to be explained through that, and I feel like, that's and we still also might see it. By the way, I, I want right, to be, yeah. I want to be fair to the show, just because they revealed the high points and the necessary information of that secret doesn't mean there's not more that's going to be revealed. Yeah, and, and I think there's, I, I think there's. Yeah, we'll get into it because I think there's more coming, obviously. Well, obviously, but yeah, we'll get in this episode of what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I liked all this. This was great. Um, you know, I wasn't shocked that, you know, the way their relationship was at that, at that moment exactly. And so, because again, he who remains is di- this version of, of Kang or whatever is different than the other ones. He's the one that won the multiversal war. What exactly turned the tide, right? Like that's the, what did Ravona, uh, Ravona Renslayer do to help turn the tide? You know, she was so integral to it. That's what we don't know. That's what's so fascinating. And that's what I'm really curious because again, I, you know, she's going to play a version of her is going to play a pivotal part. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be this one in particular, but obviously in the show, she's an important part. So well, um, I will say that this one in particular is not necessarily dead. She got pruned, which means she goes to the void. And well, right. If uh, if Mobius can survive the void, so can Ravona Renslayer. Yeah. And so I yeah. And that's why I was saying, like, I don't think she's dead either. I, I'm just saying I think she's a, she to me. She's like the the conduit of what we're going to be introducing the other helping us get into Kang and, and, uh, and all the different variants we're going to get. You know, was all, I'll get into eventually in this episode. But yeah, I, I, I like this as creative. It almost, I feel like they downplayed it purposely for many different reasons. And a part of like that casual buildup of like setting us up for a very like kind of, oh, it's going to be like kind of like a casual, like let's fill a kind of, I hate saying filler, but kind of like, let's get from point A to point B. You know, we've got a couple episodes left and it, it's not at all what ended up happening but that's what it felt yeah. like they were trying to that was the attempt anyway and it was successful i thought yeah well you feel like if this was a 13 episode season then this would just be the beginning oh, of something but absolutely this is right. more all killer no filler we've only got six episodes and this is the fourth one let's get moving which i totally agree with and i really do appreciate about this episode and also in terms of teasing more to come obviously from those characters is when ravona renslayer is asking miss minutes you know what's the point of all this is Miss Minute saying we don't need him and maybe we never did. Um, so obviously that shows. Uh, I don't trust her. Yeah, I don't trust her. <laughs> you can't trust her. You're you're not meant to trust uh, Miss Minutes. Although we'll see what uh, what her future holds because everybody's future is uncertain by the end of this episode. So when we are back in the present of the TVA, we see Victor Timely emerge through a time door in the war room, and he's able to see his face three times over uh, right behind him and then wander the hallway, and then come upon the image of all the Kangs fighting each other in the multiversal war, a glimpse into his past slash future before B-15 and the rest of the gang catch up, and they get to explain what exactly they need from him, because all that noise, he's saying, is that my loom? Yes, it is, and he's the only one who can help them fix that. I appreciated this scene, but also there's Logic issues aren't, aren't normally a huge uh, thing for me. This one, though, I was like, why is he unescorted? I, I don't get it. Like, you yeah, don't trust man. the guy. Like, why is he being allowed this time to wander by himself? And the real answer, there's not a practical or logical answer to this. The real answer is it's just more emotionally impactful for him to be on his own surveying 
his past slash future or the past slash future of a variant of himself or then many variants of himself when he looks at that multiversal war artwork. So that's the answer for it. But normally, yeah, they would have walked through that time door right with him and kept a very close eye and kept him within uh, within arm's reach for uh, for as long as they possibly could. But I also like how Victor Timely, as he surveys all of this, it is for him simultaneously over overwhelming and yet somehow not like he's it's gratifying the way he the way he plays it is he is somewhat mystified by what he's seeing but at the same time there's a certain amount of it that that also just kind of makes sense to him because again going back to what he said when all of this was explained to him last week and that it's the story about himself that he all that he always imagined is true but the level at which that's true and the level of that story is still a lot for him to take in. But again, he still feels oddly, he, he does a good job of being, it is interesting to see him being comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time. And both of those feelings come through in this. So I, I thought that was a really interesting spot for him, which made it worth the, again, sacrificing the logic of, yeah, there's no way they're letting him walk around by himself. Yeah, I... I I agree with you. I don't know much else to add to that other than maybe the reason, and I, I, I kind of maybe like subconsciously thought this and kind of came to mind because it didn't really bother me. I can totally understand that reasoning is that they need him so badly. They don't want to put him in like, we have to follow you everywhere you go. They yeah, that's, that's they, fair. They him, it, it was a trust. It was trust. a trust exercise. Yeah. I'll take yeah, it. it. Yeah, that, that's just what I they, I came up with in my mind. I think that's where I kind of I went with it. So it's like, hey, we'll we it. we trusted you for an unescorted thirty-seven second wander. So now, please come with us. We need you to fix everything. <laughs> exactly. So I'll I'll buy it. I'll take it. Excellent. Uh, if, Excellent. You know, you. your your appeal is accepted. We'll, <laughs> we'll take All it. All right. So anyway, as we move back to the, we get to the bullpen of the TVA for a conversation between uh, Judge Gamble, played once again by Liz Carr and B-15, and the conversation is what to do about General Docs and the others who were following General Docs. And I like how Judge Gamble kind of goes through it. Back in the olden times that weren't really that long ago and not really that olden for the TVA, if somebody does something wrong within the TVA, the answer to that is they are pruned, and that's it. But that's not the answer anymore. It's not as simple as it used to be. Not that it ever should have been simple, but it was for them in the TVA, and that's not the way it should be anymore. So the solution, as Judge Gamble um, tries to encourage B-15, is to try and reach General Docs, to try and convince her, because ultimately, they care about the same thing. They care about protecting the TVA. B-15 just has to figure out how to get General Docs to see this as protecting the TVA and how the new TVA is just as worth protecting as the old TVA. And I really do like this scene, and I like the way that Gamble points out, in terms of B-15 doubting whether or not that's possible, is Gamble saying, well, your words worked on me, so maybe more words from you will work on General Docs. And just that idea of not giving up on someone, not giving up on the ability to reach someone where it seems like they might be unreachable, uh, unreachable and completely dug into their position. So that part I did appreciate. And I just like having little scenes like this in this show, in a, an episode that is just jam-packed with a lot of big plot stuff and, of course, a very big event at the end of this episode to take time out for these little for a little moment like this between Judge Gamble and B-15, I thought was really cool and, and worked very well in the episode. And again, they kept 
brief and to the point, but also very effective so that it it did what it needed to do without interfering with the, you know, the larger pacing, the overall pacing of the episode. Well, it also is setting up B-15 and her leadership role. And I think, yeah, not, not just, I think, with, you know, this season, but I think the future going forward and how they're, you know, how they're setting up the, the TVA in the future as far as, you know, Maybe they're not just going to prune everything and have one massive timeline, but there's ways to manage things. If you have someone get out of line, you don't you don't have to always just throw them into the incinerator. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that someone who can someone who can lead with compassion. Exactly, and I think that's what they were, you know, what she was saying. And I think that's and I think it's all it's it's important for the story now. It also is foreshadowing for the future as well. I think so. Yeah, I, I did. I think that was a cool conversation. Yeah, too. I think I spoke too soon last week when I was talking about Ravona Renslayer as a potential Nick Fury of the TVA. I mean, I still think that could potentially hold and there can be paths to redemption, even for characters who might otherwise see seem irredeemable, see Loki. So like that can happen within the context of the MCU. But also if we are talking about a leader of the TVA, for all the talk about Loki and Sylvie as gods leading this thing, I think ultimately, you know, the power might rest with uh, with B-15, which would be great hands to put them in because Wumi Masaku does uh, just such an out- outstanding job every single week, uh, including in this episode. But then we have to get to the issue at hand of this episode, which is fixing the temporal loom. And we see Obi and Casey are working on things as... Then Sylvie, Mobius, Loki, and Victor Timely enter, and then they find out they take turns. Victor Timely and Obi take turns fanning out on each other because their work is based on each other's work. So how could that have happened? Which came first, as Mobius points out, and uh, also as Obi uh, explains it, it's like a snake eating its own tail. So there's your big time travel paradox is who inspired whom between Victor Timely and Ouroboros, I don't really know, but I thought this scene was, I like that they just kind of call out a, a paradox such as that without necessarily having to have a, a well-defined answer in it, uh, answer for it, which makes sense, and it checks out within time travel logic because, yep. got news for everybody, time travel's impossible, and that's why it's going to lead to some of those impossible questions that you don't have answers for, but when Obi explains what has to happen now in this episode, what they're trying to do Amazing job by Kihue Kwan to have Obi break out the model, but then be apologizing for his shoddy and slapdash work on this model of the temporal loom and everything mm-hmm. they have to do. I love his complaints about it. It only He only had time to put on one coat of paint. He didn't have enough time to carve out figures for everybody who's there. He just has the one figure. And he's, re- he's particularly embarrassed because he has to show this model in front of his inspiration, Victor Timely, but then the little smile that Obi gives when Mobius actually compliments the model was fantastic and just so on point. But then Obi explains what has to happen with the throughput multiplier installation. And uh, also when he sums up what happened, when someone, he looks at Sylvie, killed he who remains and released those extra branches and ruined my life, that was outstanding. Um, but there's other challenges of what's happening. There's just the mechanics of it, but also the challenge of there being a lot more temporal radiation this time around compared to when Mobius was out there near the temporal loom back in the season two premiere. And Mobius' conclusion to this is, oh, so Loki's really got to hoof it uh, because it's his turn this time was awesome. And when Loki's wondering why, 
Mobius holding up the little figurine saying, clearly this isn't me, was awesome. And as they argue back and forth before Sylvie makes the obvious point, it's not anyone. It's wearing a helmet. But then Obi points out this is all just theoretical because they don't actually have a fix for this yet. Except Victor Timely does have a potential solution. It is his prototype, which based on this doesn't appear to have anything to do with his ship, as I was wondering if that might be an additional part of this last week. Nope, it's just there to be part of the throughput multiplier Um, And it's up to Obi and Victor Timely to figure out how to integrate it. And if anyone can, it's those two. So, Paul, my takeaway from this scene, good job of really spelling out the plot of what has to happen, even though that's actually not anything that's going to happen in this episode. So they might as well take the time to explain it now, or at least what they were attempting to do. But Obi was just so awesome in this scene. I I loved his embarrassment. Also, him showing a side of himself that he hasn't really seen, which is that looking at Sylvie and talking about how she ruined his life by being that someone who killed he who remains, um, I I thought was really awesome. Just a lot of fun. And then, yes, going ahead and calling out a a time travel issue with the whole which came first, the chicken or the egg, which came first, Victor Timely or Ouroboros. uh, I thought all of that was just a really awesome, a lot of fun and very funny. All right. So a couple things with this. Um, the paradox thing, I love it because like you said, Sean, you're acknowledging the ridiculousness of time travel. And also you're kind of, again, like I feel like embracing the paradox is almost like it's a, it's like a, a, co- uh, a badge of honor, if you will. Uh, I almost said code of honor, but a uh, badge of honor. Um, for a, a time travel story, it's like, yes, we acknowledge that this is ridiculous and we're going to go full bore into it. Um, because I, I do think there is something to that a little bit. Like, I think it's just kind of ridiculousness and the, yeah. the craziness of that. Uh, impossible again, science is still impossible, no matter how detailed of an explanation yeah. we can give you. So sometimes we're just not going to worry about it. So, yeah, I, I do. But I do feel like in my the way I rationalize it in my head is that he who remains still created this Ouroboros just helped this version of he who remains in this. You know what I mean? That's sure, the way yeah. I look at it. Yeah. That's, that's the way I look at it, but that that's a simplistic way. Um, the other thing I'm going to say, I, I love, I love this stuff. This is great. Like Ouroboros is just, he's amazing. Like he needs to be in the comics. He, he, I, I hope he survives. But also, he should be better. The writing, the, the key line for me was the one coat of paint was awesome like just the fact that he took the time to paint it anyway as all this other chaotic stuff is happening (laughs) yes and it's also it was one coat but it was very well applied it looked great yeah well and and first of all the the delivery of everything is so perfect because i think i feel i feel that a character like this could get obnoxious very fast and there's a charm there's a charm to this performance that is I, it's really impressive. I, I need I need to see everything all, everywhere all at once. I, just for him, yeah. I, I think a lesser I really performance like would just make him obnoxious. Exactly, and I feel like you have to have the right charm and and not and the writing is is there to get really old fast. And with the right performance, it could either go one way or the other, and it's gone only great so far. And I can't believe. And again, I'm not sure if anyone else has pointed this out, but. This is not only a hilarious scene that with Ouroboros, but this is a 100% callback to Back to the Future, talking about paradoxes, because they also, at the same time, the first uh, movie with Doc Brown's like, I'm so sorry, Marty, it's not up to scale. So yeah. they're obviously <laughs> a, a full a full on homage to Back to the Future, because they, they do exactly the same thing. They, they post it up, and it shows, they demonstrate yep. what they're going to have to do. So I, I was like, I see you. I see you, writers. Don't even try to fool me. 
Yeah. So, I mean, anyway. we know Kevin Feige is a huge Back to the Future fan, and I'm sure he's obviously not the only one um, who would have yeah been making that sort of comment on that model and where that's coming from. Yeah. So anyway, I, I yeah, great scene. I, I thought I hadn't seen anyone talk about that yet, which was a surprise because that's the first thing I thought of. I went, oh, Back to the Future. All right. And, there, and also because you're talking about paradoxes right before that. I'm like, it's perfect. So anyway. Yeah, love this love this scene. Yeah, I, I thought this scene was was great. Honestly, even for me, I didn't catch the I it didn't trigger my Back to the Future memories on that. So um, that is a, and I haven't seen anybody else call that out yet. So uh, good on you for that. And yeah, I I'm sure now that you say it, it just clicks into place. Like yeah, that totally makes sense. But yeah, uh, Kihei Kwan just so good in this role, such a fun character. And again, the the writing was also on point there this was a really really fun scene and it it is reminiscent of the the first episode of this season right because it brings back to that whole idea of if you're going to have to go through all of the exposition of this crazy time travel impossible stuff and how you're managing all this impossible technology how do you make that fun and how do you make that interesting for an audience I think they absolutely found a way to uh, they absolutely found a way to do that and uh, did a, a really outstanding job in this. So the next scene as we carry on is as these two are are left to do their work, Mobius is ready to wait it out with a slice of pie. And what better way to to wait it out? Because it's always a good time for pie. But Sylvia is in no mood for that. And she points out that they it's not great that this is who they're counting on. And, or that they're having to count on anyone and there's not more that they're doing and even points out why Mobius feels okay enough to take about all of this to take a break for Pi points out the fact that he's not shown his the what would be the normal amount of curiosity one would expect when one, from somebody who found out that they were a variant and they had a life on the timeline and this is something that we explored again for Mobius and his character and his emotional arc his motivation back in the second episode of the season but I think Sylvie makes a all of that that was explored in the second episode is true. But Sylvie also explores a different perspective. She has a different angle that she sees it from. And there's also a lot of truth to that, that for Mobius, by not thinking about his life on the timeline and just kind of ignoring that reality and keeping all of his focus on the TVA, in some ways that makes things easier for him in some ways that you can certainly attribute that to maybe him not feeling having the same sense of urgency about this as Sylvie does that maybe the stakes aren't quite as high for him I know in theory they are theoretically they are for Mobius but it just continues to be in theory because as she points out they're all just all these timelines instead of because you're not going down and seeing these lives they're just lines on a monitor for you which for Sylvie obviously it's a very different experience. And I just thought this was really great for Sylvie to call that out. And if you're wondering whether or not she's right, all that really matters is whether or not Mobius thinks she's right. And he kind of does. He knows she's not totally, she's certainly not totally wrong in the way that she summed this up. And it's a great performance by, well, Sofia Martino in the scene, but then also Owen Wilson with his reaction to it. He got called out and he just kind of, you know, looks up and shrugs his shoulders at this, knowing that there's a, a certain amount of this that is true. And I think for Mobius, it's not that he doesn't care. I think it's because he cares so much. That's why this is his own form of denial. He has to keep himself in this cocoon of the TVA because this is already bad enough. 
this is already challenging enough for him that I don't even know if he feels he he must not feel like he can even handle right now thinking about this in any sort of different way of, of really having his feet on the ground and looking at his life on the timeline and all of those things. He he needs it's not so much to intentionally try to make things easier for him. Just subconsciously, he probably feels like he has to keep these things as theoretical. He has to keep all of this in the abstract versus the the real hard reality of what's actually happening and countless people dying. That's just unfathomable to him. And so this is the way that he processes it, it processes it through the lens of the life that he's very comfortable in, his life as an analyst in the TVA to where, you know, it's... It is more to him than a bad day at the office, as the way Sylvie describes, but he also has his own way of trying to limit how much damage this does to him emotionally and trying to keep a cap on the trauma that might result from this by keeping it in this very specific perspective within the confines of the TVA. There is safety in that for Mobius. It's all still very, very dangerous, but for whatever safety he can find in that, he really needs it. And Sylvie called that out and he knows she's right. I the one thing about I think with any kind of like science fiction, especially with superhero shows and the comics have always done a great job of this is taking these really crazy elements and humanizing them as well as you know as much as they can to make it have some emotional weight and that's like with any story but i feel with the comics there's so much you have so much length to go you can really go in depth with these things and a show like six episodes you know it's not 13 thank god because sometimes you can get too long you know you can you can decompress it right but um with it just it's really nice to get these really crazy like multiverse moments and, and these really heady things and and when they can take you know when they are a, a, a uh, you know a another form of another real life things you can relate to as like you know when you're in a really traumatic situation or a very stressful situation it is how you deal with the stress itself you know is how you turn out at the end of it not not what ultimately happens to you but how you deal with that in the, the aftermath or, or in that moment and it's nice to see these moments like portrayed and we can relate to them as we you know read them or watch them in this instance and that's why I've always loved like superhero storytelling because it is these, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bigger, more ridiculous, grander scale of things that you can relate to as people. And I, I like that relatability, right? It's not just about, you know, shooting lasers and, you know, and yeah, things like it's that real emotion within the heightened reality. Ex exactly. And I think that's where I, I, you know, Logie season one, I thought did a great job of that. It, it was, it was solid. And, and like one division was, was the ultimate to me. Right. WandaVision really got into the headspace and, and the realities of, of of what these things can do to people as powers and what you you know what you would cause you to do and et cetera. And here you're seeing what it's like to be in that world, not just for like 10 minutes, but someone who's lived it their entire life as far as we know and uh, or as far as they know, right? And that how that affects them and how they process that information. And we we get and again, it's been built up over time with when he talks about, well, don't you th want to think about what happened, you know, in your other life? Is it? No, I don't want to do that. I like it here. I, I, my place is here. There's, there's this, uh, there's a sense of like the grass is the grass greener or not. And then this sense, he's like, I've made my, I've, I don't want to say comfortable, but I'm, I'm, I'm working in my surroundings and I'm trying to, you know, cart, you know, uh, 
figure it all out and keep it inside and contained for the betterment of what I'm working for. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a pro and a con to that, right? And I think that we're seeing that. And, and again, in this grander scale of things, that you know, it's a sacred timeline about. of it. It's a sacred timeline of his own emotions. Like it's exactly it's bad, yes. but I'm I'm funneling it into this space. I'm channeling it through this pathway, through this perspective, because if I don't do that then it just branches off into everything and it becomes all consuming and maybe I can't even yeah. function. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, and I just want to just call out the writing has been, I to me, I'll, I'll just say it here. I think the writing for first season was great. The writings, this this might be rivaling, at this point, we're four episodes in, it might be on the same level as WandaVision. And the show, I think WandaVision is still the best overall is still at this point Logan season two i think is surpassing season one which i did not think was going to happen so far good four episodes in maybe two more but at this point i've been really impressed with just how much they've they've put into this the season how much they've they've compressed into it and how it's not been too convoluted too confusing and there's a lot of there's a lot of ways it can go wrong in this too you know still but, sure. but yeah. as far as as far as we've gotten there I've been really impressed and how they've been the biggest thing, you know, is, is scenes like this. And with the Brad episode, we're getting, we're getting a lot of emotional weight. That's not just from Loki and not from Sylvie. It's from the other characters and the real genuine emotions, like you were saying, Sean. And I think that that is a credit to the writers acknowledging that like, Hey, there's great opportunities to write good scenes here because this stuff isn't just like, you know, let's have a fun multiverse story. It's, it's more than that. And that's why, again, that's the best writing in superheroes in, in these, these universes, whatever they understand that the connected universe is, it can be, you can, you can wield it to be great high art in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think this is a great example of, I'm not saying this is a high art necessarily, but it's a very high, this is quality, great writing that people need to acknowledge. No, it's really outstanding with what they have done with this show. And and I I love a scene like this and and I think and I mentioned this on the first impressions episode of Fan Show Plus that this is the type of scene that could be very easily overlooked because of how many other big things were happening throughout this episode, but the fact that they took the time to really nail a scene like this in this spot uh, between for a character like Mobius who I mean, it's still obviously one of our main protagonists in this show, but it's not his name in the show. And so to give him these types of moments and have this confrontation between Sylvie and Mobius, who up until this point have mostly kind of gotten along, you know, since they were working together in the void in season one, to have this moment that I think is a breakthrough for Mobius as well, because it's also her calling that out is kind of a challenge to him. And it is um, a key moment, I think, in his own emotional arc that he's going to have to realize he needs to he's tried to compartmentalize all of this as much as he possibly can but he can't keep doing that and he is going to have to try to fully process this and i think that is going to happen for him at some point which is part of the that's why we have this moment for him it keeps coming up because it's something that he has to ultimately work through and, and overcome on his own journey as a character. And, and I love that, that all of that is being kept in mind with all of the crazy, you know, it's the end of everything, temporal meltdown that's happening in this episode. And uh, another great scene as we cut to Docs and X5 and all of Docs' crew in that, uh, that holding cell. 
I love X5 trying to quote Galileo or Churchill, whoever, to try and give the inspiring speech to lead this resistance. And then uh, Docs has had enough and even makes it a point to know that they know exactly what he did in abandoning his mission. And great delivery by Rafael Casal saying, I didn't know you knew that uh, about uh, his whole life on the timeline. Also great performance from Kate Dickey as Docs. That was one of my my small little uh, flaws or criticisms from the second episode as I felt like that character being brought back in episode two didn't get enough to really recapture the weight and, and gravitas that I felt that character had or was teased with that character in the first episode. Well, certainly redeemed in this episode. Again, none of that was a slight to Kate Dickey, who just didn't have the, didn't have the time or the material there to give the performance. But with that, the benefit of that time here in this episode absolutely nails it. And then B-15 coming in for the moment where she tries to convince Docs that while they may not agree or see eye to eye on most things, they do care about the same things and the same people the most. They care about the TVA and the people who are a part of it. And so, and that's what they are trying to protect. They may not agree on how that gets done, but they need to find a way to find some agreement on how that gets done because the end result of protecting the TVA is something that they both care about very, very much. And uh, B-15 is offering the deal effectively of help us and we'll talk about what that means for Docs going forward. And Docs doesn't actually agree in the room. She's just left with something to think about. And this is another great scene because I, I like that the argument between Brad and Docs, it starts out as funny, but then Brad gets to make a really a, a very valid point for him, which is that he felt he had earned his life on the timeline. He felt they had all earned their lives on the timeline. And look, I don't think he's wrong. Sure, Brad is kind of an a-hole, but that doesn't make him wrong about everything. And there has to be at least some validity to his perspective with uh, with the idea of earning a life on the timeline. And then I love B-15's speech, and it was inspiring, starting with just acknowledging the differences that do exist between them while seeking to find common ground in what matters most to each of them. It sure would be nice if we could do that, not just in the t the heightened reality of the MCU and the TVA, but it's a good idea just, you know, in real life too. Uh, I mean, it would be nice if that could happen more often. But also, because of the way, even though this is a heightened reality, there is an emotional logic to it that has to track for us as an audience. And we know it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as saying yes uh, or no, we don't see eye to eye but we agree on the most important things, so let's work together. Okay, great, and our everything's been resolved. No, it doesn't work that way in real life, and it doesn't work that way in the TVA either, and so it makes sense that I think they, they honor the divide between these characters by showing that Docs doesn't immediately agree, and we know that she's leaning that direction, or starting to, before she meets her end later on in this episode, but an inspiring speech without present, without putting it in a place of being an oversimplified solution. So just another great example of the, the writing and the performances within this show with another great scene in this episode. Yeah, I, you know, for me, you're probably going to disagree with this, but I, this kind of justifies putting Docs in that situation and having her get captured so quickly to set this up. I, I did like all this, and that's why... I, you know, I still I, will always think that scene could have been better and, sure, and more fleshed out sure. and actually felt like an entire scene as opposed to, uh, oh, we got to hurry up and, and do this because we're at the end of the episode already. 
So yeah. I, I will always think that scene could have been better. But yes, as far as Docs as a character, what she does in what we see with that character in episode one and episode four, that's really what makes her interesting. And th- those are the moments that I'll certainly remember for this character. Yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah. And I think that there's, so getting her to that point is, is, you know, that's what that obviously that episode, you know, two was supposed to be about. And, and you're right. Like things can be better, but as far as I think to me, if, as long as the story can justify the reasoning of what's going on, at least that, that sense, I give it a lot of, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times I'm gonna give things a benefit of the doubt. And I think this is a great example of that, that you see, you got to see the wheels turn from all different sides of this to give because that's what's driving the overall narrative at this point, besides like the saving of the, the TVA, you know, actual, you know, saving the whole thing from blowing up. But because the real problem is what's going to happen to them after they do fix it or when they fix it. Right. So that's the whole thing they're setting up here. And that to me is like obviously, you know, the, the best stuff we're getting here as far as from a show from engagement, because. I listen, I live for spectacle, but uh, for this, for these stuff, for this stuff, but for me to actually like keep, you know, be investing in it as a, as someone who loves Marvel and as a, as a professed Marvel zombie, you need to have moments like this. And this again, great. We had the great moment before this is more great stuff with great character actors working docs. I mean, she's fantastic. Um, you know, just giving it a Brad's fantastic. I mean, revelation, God, he's just bringing it. And, I, I just love the idea of people be like you get people being who are are, are a holes. It's it's true in real life. So just because you're a jerk doesn't make them always a wrong, which sucks, but it's true. Like that's just sometimes they might have a point. And I like seeing I like seeing Brad like kind of trying to explain rationalize his ideas to these people, convince them. But then, like, also, you know, look out for himself. I, I just there, there is a, it's all there in the performance, and I, I think that's again super, super great. And um, yeah, nothing much else to say other than other than like, I really liked this. And again, I just want to also say the lighting and the, the like in the. I'm not sure if they do actual filming, like they use film stock to rec- to uh, for this show. But there's a graininess to the show mm. that I just absolutely love, and it with that orange. It feels so 70s and 60s with that very like bright orange in that room. It's like it with that with that extra grain, Sean. It's just mm, chef's kiss. Love it. Yeah, no, it the show looks out. I mean, it just continues to look gorgeous from week to week, scene by scene. Just I, I love the look of this show. And then Sylvie, despite having no interest in in pie, found herself in pie land, found herself in the pie room at the TVA, says she made a wrong turn. And then when they're talking about why they're here, uh, Loki ultimately comes to the conclusion and says to Sylvie, you're only here because you couldn't kill him. Him, of course, being Victor Timely. And when Sylvie explains that, she's talking about how when she looked at Victor Timely, she saw that he was scared and he who remains wasn't. Or if he was, she didn't notice. And that's a really good line as well. I mean, good acting, but also very well written. Because what that says about the character, I mean, and obviously we know when we understood at the time why she made the decision that she did at the end of last week's episode to spare Victor Timely. But I think going back and having her having her think back on that moment where she killed He Who Remains and even that that little piece at the end of saying, or maybe I just didn't notice uh, about He Who Remains, which I think is an acknowledgement for her that 
her mind wasn't even in that space when she killed He Who Remains, that she was very much focused on what her mission had been all along, what she was absolutely certain was the necessary action um, for the benefit of everyone, but also a little bit of vengeance for herself or a lot of vengeance for herself mixed in and how she wasn't necessarily looking at the entire picture. It's not saying that she was wrong in that debate because that was the whole point of that philosophical debate, which is continuing, by the way, in this scene. As we saw it in the Citadel at the end of time, at the end of the first season, we saw it in the Ferris wheel last week, and here we are, with, or we saw it outside of McDonald's in episode two, saw it in uh, the Ferris wheel in episode three of this season, and now it the, the debate must continue. Why? Because it's a debate with an impossible answer. It's an impossibly complex debate with no easy answer at all. But we see the way that even Sylvie is feeling about her own position there is also evolving, which I thought was interesting there. And even as Loki is trying to relate and recalling well, basically the events of Thor from 2011 when Loki recalls Thor's banishment and how he had changed and how Loki initially mocked that and then ultimately grew to understand it. But Sylvie points out in, in her experience, soft gets you killed. So it, it shows where Sylvie is kind of dug in, but you also understand how she got to that position. But there is some part of each of them that are, are reaching one another through this uh, through this debate. And when Sylvie's making the, the case that it would be easier to just burn all of this to the ground and start over with the TVA or whatever's going to replace it. And then Loki gets some great lines here talking about how, yeah, that is easy. Annihilating is easy. Raising things to the ground is easy. But fixing some, trying to fix something that's broken, that's what's hard. And then Loki puts another button on it by saying hope is hard. And then Sylvie makes the case that Loki is counting on a lot of hope. They got to hope for this and then hope for this and then hope for this a whole lot of hope being relied on, and that's not necessarily something that matches up with Sylvie's experience. But then, and she also points out, because Loki is talking about what would happen if they were to run things in the TVA and continuing to do the work that the TVA does and how that inevitably leads to the same type of moral dilemma that they are discussing. As she says, interfere for good, heard that one before, and then Loki makes a great point. That's why I love this debate, is they each get a chance to make really solid arguments that point to how complex this whole issue is. Loki making the point that they can't just give pe can't just give people free will and then walk away. For better or for worse, he says, the timelines are free. It's up to us to protect them. It's up to us to do better than he who remains, to which Sylvie says, sounds like whatever we do, we're playing gods. Uh, we're playing God, which gives Loki the opportunity to say, which is also true, we are gods. I thought this was a great debate and a great or a great continuation of the debate. And I love that every time they revisit this debate, it's not just the same stuff over and over again. They are advancing these arguments. Each of them are advancing their positions on this. It doesn't make it any easier because, again, that's the impossible philosophical debate that they're having. But it's worth having. And I love the way that they continue to find space in this show for these characters to continue to talk this out. I thought it was a great scene. Uh, I mentioned, of course, Loki putting a button, button on it by saying hope is hard. I initially wasn't a big fan of when I heard him say the word, not because it didn't apply to the scene. I love hope and I love its role thematically in superhero storytelling and also in Star Wars storytelling and lots of other types of heightened reality uh, fantasy storytelling. I love it. I really do. At the same time, 
for the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, it's arguably become the most overused word in this space. But I do think they did a good job redeeming it in context because Sylvie actually did a good job of making the point that, yes, hope is hard and yes, hope is essential, but we can't rely entirely on that in everything because it's just relying on way too much luck and way too many things to shake out exactly the way that we want them to in you know, hope can be the inspiration, but that is its limit. Now, ultimately, there's going to have to be efforts that are made, and they have to figure out what those efforts need to be to not just be a repeat of he who remains. The only difference between the new TVA and the old TVA, it can't just be that it's there that they are the ones in charge. But Loki's point also still holds that in terms of giving free people free will and walking away, you can't just walk away because eventually... If there is no protector, if there is no one looking out for everybody, then someone else is going to come along. Someone is going to use their free will to take away the free will of others. And so now this debate turns into this thing, or what are they, they are gods. Well, what does that mean? What are the responsibilities of them as gods? It is to, it is to discuss and, and acknowledge and sort out these complicated questions and try to find some complicated answer that actually works, that they can believe is morally and ethically sound. And that's very, very hard to do, as is illustrated wonderfully in these uh, in debate scenes such as this one. So, I mean, I, it's just it's one great scene after another in this episode. We're not even at the end yet, but this was another high point in this. And again, this is what I love about this show, another example of the different types of things that we have loved, and I know I have loved about Loki for now 10 episodes, including this one. And as I said at the top, this episode just has shining examples of a lot of the different types of things that have been so great about this show. This is easily my favorite scene of the show, tied with the very end. Like these are like neck and neck. Um, I absolutely adored this conversation. This was a beautifully written and very, uh, again, just like we have had previously in this episode, both sides kind of talking, but the, I love, again, the foreshadowing of what they're setting up here. I think it's very evident. Um, I'm just going to, you know, you, you did a great job explaining this, but I just want to say that with this whole thing of the, of the Lokis talking together and actually, and we talked about this previously too, Sean, that, that these, they're gods, right? Like, mm. and let me make that very clear. Like they are, they are powerful. And I like the idea Like, this is not a message for, I mean, it is and it isn't. It's a message for everyone to like, you know, and everybody hope, again, hope it, you know, all that stuff. Right. But I like in the context of like between these two characters, because yeah. that's but, what but makes challenge it. it. Don't just make it a word that is, you know, catchy right. to say in these stories. Well, yeah, exactly. But and they do, I and that's it, that's why. Like, yeah, I had my initial momentary cringe when he said it, and I was like, okay, they made it work. Yeah, and so, but what I'm talking about with acknowledging that these guys, uh, this guy and gal, are both gods, and the fact that like they have the power to basically be those people to keep things in order. They they are as powerful as you know as he who remains or on that same level maybe not as powerful because he conquered all time, you know for all time. Um, always, but, um, always. And so, so yeah, I, I I love the fact that like she's like you sound like you're playing God and like because it's a, it's a very it it you know she's not wrong but when he but I love that that line when he says we are gods and walks off I was I I literally was like damn <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was 
Yes, thank you. I but it was a great the delivery w- felt sounded a little different than the one in the trailer because it's not like we are gods. Like, oh, we're so cool. This time, it felt more to me like this is our responsibility. Exactly. I I, I didn't see it in the trailer because I don't watch trailers. But thank God I didn't because that would have been ruined. Um, and that's the thing here. I love the, the fact that he he states to to her and reminds her that they are gods. They have the power and the responsibility at this point to maybe are the ones to be handling this on this grand of a scale. And I love that. I thought that was brilliant because you, there's too much we forget that Thor is supposed to be a god. Like even I, I'm reading I'm reading a Immortal Thor right now, and it's it's super solid. Al Ewing, he's, you can't go wrong pretty much with him. But, um, but anyway, he, you know, I, they're kind of reminding and emphasizing the fact that they're gods a little bit more in this. And, and they all, they're supposed to, and they try to in these comics and these shows, but it, they don't really acknowledge it like, like uh, the, almost like the, they don't want to acknowledge the elephant in the room of like what that really means. You know what I mean? Like, it, cause when you're a god, you rule. You know what I mean? That's the whole point. You're all powerful. You're overseen you know, basically. And I think that's where, um, when he says that it's a get the hell in in line. Let's, let's do what we're supposed to do. And I love that. that I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, I don't read it as get the hell in line, but I do read it as like, this is no, yeah. No matter what we do, we're going to be playing gods because we are. And, and that's, it it is that those are my over. words. Yeah. But that, but, that, but, yeah. but, but Sean, but that's essentially, he's saying it's time for you to accept responsibility. That's I think what, it's more, what, I don't think it's more I you. Saying. I think it's time for us. I think he's also still very well, much talking about you, himself us, because the, I mean, yeah, but think yeah, about the I, position I, of him as a God, right? Right. What he was, you know, when he became a variant, when he branched off on his timeline coming from the battle of New York, his, at that point in time, he's, to be a god means to rule, which at this point, that's not really what he's saying. Obviously, having some set of rules that you enforce is kind of inevitably inevitably becomes a part of it. But really, what's the role that he's describing here? He keeps using variations of the word protect, protect, protection. And that's a very different spot for him and, and what he's the way he's seeing it. And even acknowledging what Sylvie has done by keeping Victor Timely alive she didn't just spare his life in Loki's mind. She spared the lives of everybody, of every all the countless lives across countless timelines that have a chance to exist because here's Victor Timely in a position at this point in time, they believe, to save the temporal loom and therefore save the TVA and therefore save all of the timelines. And Loki acknowledging that Yes, there's a lot of rot within the TVA, but here are some people who are here right now protecting everyone. And I think so that's where I think where Loki is looking. He for himself is looking at it differently. And then he's talking this out with Sylvie and he totally understands her position. And there's, I think, part of him that largely agrees with a lot of what she's saying, but then is also seeing this other picture where it is still essential that they continue this work or that they at least try to continue this work and just trying to reach her in that moment and just acknowledging that there is no way around it, that, yeah, we're going to be playing God because that's what we are. But what that means, um, I think, for Loki is definitely very different now than it was, which just speaks to, again, the amazing job this show has done on his character arc and, of course, as it's continued with the other uh, characters in this show, 
just really, really, uh, really outstanding stuff. So love this scene. Uh, really great debate and great performance by these uh, by these actors, by Tom Hiddleston and Sophia uh, DiMartino. And then when we cut back to Docs and X5, we see that Docs is leaning toward joining B-15 because what she does trust is B-15's integrity. X-5, not so sure about that, but there's no time to debate that point because Renslayer and Miss Minutes arrive to make their pitch. Well, Docs doesn't trust Ravona and even expresses her own disappointment in Miss Minutes. Great line delivery by Tara, by Tara Strong. I know I'm working on myself was outstanding. And then Ravona has an offer for everyone there. If they want it, they can have a life on the timeline. All they have to do is follow her through that time door and help her and Miss Minutes do whatever they have to do to ultimately be in power. X5 is up for it, but he also knows, then everybody knows, that Doc's isn't going to go for it. Even when, she, if she, when she's challenged by Ravona Renslayer with seeing the bigger picture, she says that uh, for the first time ever, I'm finally seeing the bigger picture and she is not in her team. They are not going to join Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes. X5 or Bradley knows this, and he knows what's coming as Miss Minutes fires up that machine that we saw back in the second episode. And X5 even trying to plead with Renslayer to spare them. But then, of course, she uh, she ultimately does not. And I thought this was incredibly brutal in a good way, as it was intended to be, a very brutal, very intense scene, and this end for Docs, and it all is within the heightened reality context of, we just saw a couple episodes ago, Docs do something absolutely terrible in pruning all of those timelines and all of the countless lives on those branched timelines, but also... From Dox's perspective, that's what she felt and had been conditioned to think was the right thing to do and the absolute essential thing that she had to do, regardless of how she felt about it, not because she took any pleasure in it. So within that context and within the heightened reality of the MCU, where irredeemable characters can somehow find moments of redemption, Dox manages to get this noble end. I even like the way that she reaches out to X5, except she initially says X5, then she says Bradley. She calls him by his chosen name in the life that he believes he's earned for himself and then asks that question. Life on the timeline was that good, huh? And then uh, also makes the point to Ravona Renslayer, how does it feel to know that everyone here, except X5, would rather die than follow Ravona Renslayer through that door? And I, I think that what this scene manages to do for all of the characters in it, as I mentioned, the there is some nobility, some mo- some moral code that is there with Doc. So despite the horrible thing we saw her do a couple weeks ago, to see that there is at the center, at the core of this character, there is an ethical principle that she's trying, that she was trying to abide by, as warped as that may be in, in the way things have gone in the TVA. And she stays true to that, to not go, to see the bigger picture and understand that means she should not go with Ravona Renslayer. And then also X5's response to this, pleading for Docs and everybody else in the room. It doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go stand with them. But there is just a little bit of a hint at maybe something redeemable within X5 
or Bradley, who does ultimately go with Ravona Renslayer. But then what it's showing about Miss Minutes in that scene. Miss Minutes is so happy. She is downright gleeful at watching all of this unfold and the horror that is unfolding as the as Docs and her team are boxed in and then basically squeezed into nothingness. And then when I was watching this the first time, I found Ravona Renslayer's uh, reaction to what's happening as she's watching the, the deaths of these people that she's killing. I found her expression to be cold, but upon further review and looking at it, it's not really that cold. You can see that and it's a great performance by Gugu Mbatha-Ra where it's a character who is trying to make it look as if she is cold and determined and you know very adamant, very sure about what she's doing. But there's more underneath um, in her behavior where you see it's, it's not that simple for her. The way that she blinks, the way that she's breathing heavily, you can tell that she is not enjoying this at all. She's still doing it, and it's still wrong for her to be doing it. But this is one of those moments you can tell in thanks to the performance of Gugu Mbatha-Ra. This is one of those moments she was describing last week where she is putting the TVA above her happiness and above her humanity. She's removing those things from herself as much as she can to carry forward with doing what she feels is now necessary in her mission. It doesn't mean she deserves sympathy. She's still doing this horrible thing. She is killing people after all. But at least we get a chance to see how she feels about it and how there is at least some conflict in there, which we really only see through the performance and such an outstanding job there. And then as far as what the scene is is accomplishing there in terms of the horror of the scene, that's a credit to Raphael Casal and his performance because we really see the horror of it all on his face. And then we also get a chance to, thanks to the uh, sound design and sound mix there, we get a chance to hear that horror draining out through the graded floor, which was an extra brutal touch to add to this overall very brutal and intense scene. So in a completely different way than the previous scenes were so great in this episode, here's a whole other way of delivering just an outstanding scene. Difficult to watch, yes, but very, very well done. Yeah, I'm just going to add a few things here. Um, love the stuff. Um, in a sense of where, of where, man, Miss Minutes is lying. I'm working on myself. I was like, oh my God. So like good. that, I, I died. Um, and Tara Strong, it's just, oh, she's so good. She's, 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 she's a legend. Um, you know, the thing is about the scene is this is where the lull, like of this whole episode, Sean starts, it, sh- it shifts radically and it kind of, it really does shock you because, it, the whole episode has been pretty much just a lot of like people kind of really challenging the characters are the characters are challenging each other from opposite ends. Right. And we're just getting like back and forth, back and forth. And these are all great scenes. Right. We all we acknowledge that so far. They're great scenes, but they're not there's not like craziness going on yet. And then once it's like it almost you're you're going into that same thing. You're you're set up with. Ravona coming in with Miss Minutes and then you know, they're, they're talking. You're like, okay, you're, we're, we're back to, you know, we're getting more of the same. Again, not bad. I'm not saying that as a negative by any means, but you're like, okay. And then they start the machine, like, hey, you know, whatever. And then it happens. Yeah. You know, no. they, it they it escalates out. quickly. And you're like, whoa. And that's when you realize, and this, the episode doesn't let up from there. And that's what's really impressive. It, it was there, it feels like the writers had a very like deliberate, let's lull them into here. 
make him think like, oh, it's just going to be like, a, yeah. well, actually, mass murder, you know, and it's like, whoa. And then you're like, wait a minute. And then things just keep kind of going from there, which we'll get into. But yeah, I just wanted to say that that's when it, it just hit me. I went, whoa, what just happened? So I'm kind of like in a state of shock, kind of, to be honest, because I wasn't expecting that and hearing the sounds because my surround sound, yep. you know, is going on. And I'm hearing it's like trip, trip. I'm like, whoo. They they went they went the extra mile and I appreciate yeah, that. No, I had gruesome. my sur- I had my surround sound going too, and then I was just like, "Is it raining out?" No, oh no. Um, oh no, oh no, but, no, uh, no. Yeah, that was, and that's by the way, that is a very real death. That's not a pruning into the void, right? They were physically crushed um, in that yeah. sequence, and mm-hmm. just so uh, so brutal. But it also shows the the lengths to which Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes are are willing to go. Ravona Renslayer maybe not taking a whole lot of joy in it, but doing it anyway. Miss Minutes taking an immense, uh, just an incredible amount of joy. She is very happy to be uh, to be doing this right now. But very, very, you know, again, difficult to watch, but very well done scene. And um, yeah, I, I just thought this was just another example of this episode doing so many, so many different types of things so, so well. And then when we check back in on timely ob and casey everything is going according to plan the prototype is in is successfully installed into the throughput multiplier meanwhile timely is uh, amazed by the hot cocoa that mobius has for his usual pick-me-up we're also hearing though that right after this prototype was installed that diagnostics aren't working and so you can't help but wonder is this a move by victor timely or is this going to turn out to be Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes? It feels a little suspicious that all of a sudden Victor Timely is preoccupied with hot cocoa and wanting to go check out the hot cocoa machine while we're finding out that it's becoming kind of chaotic there right after his prototype was installed. But turns out doesn't really seem like there was anything suspicious there, at least as far as what's been revealed yet for Victor Timely. It turns out his interest in the hot cocoa machine, which D90 takes him to, was genuine and was innocent. And you know what? That kind of makes sense because not only is this a guy who built a temporal loom in the 19th century, he's also a guy who took the time to build a refrigerator chair. So yeah, he is the kind of guy who would also be dazzled by the existence of a hot cocoa machine. And it is a dazzling and, and wonderful thing that hot cocoa can be so readily available to us. So I I share that fascination and that uh, appreciation. And I, I like... I do like the idea of Victor Timely being a character who can be equally delighted by the impossible complexities of harnessing the power and energy of time and a delicious treat. Yeah, I I I thought I was a uh, it it was this was this was fine. I thought this was fine. It, it, again, it kind of after being in shock, I'm still kind of in shock. Everyone's dying and hearing dripping well, it's in the my right, background sound. It's the right scene to give you a beat after that scene yeah you you need that after what you just saw but then we do check right back in and and b15 there's another chance to see the horror of that previous scene as it's written all over b15's face and then we she sees on her temp pad that yes it is in fact miss minutes who is interfering with a lot of the goings-on at the tva so apparently timely really just wanted some hot cocoa and when he goes and gets it he makes an offering to d90 who escorted him who enjoys that one sip of hot cocoa, and it's a good thing he did because it's the last thing he gets to enjoy before he is pruned and sent to the void where maybe he'll catch up with Ravona Renslayer, or maybe he won't. But 
In any event, D90 is pruned by X5, who then immediately apologizes to the now disappeared D90 for what he's done. But he wants the device from Victor Timely. He's there to bring Victor Timely to Miss Minutes and Ravona Renslayer, with Miss Minutes having control of all the systems at the TVA. So I like this little brief moment between Victor Timely and uh, and D90. I also like what they're doing here with X5 or Bradley, where he's still doing the bad things. So he's still in that antagonist type of role, but we're also seeing him have a lot of regret, a lot of being sorry about it. We're seeing his inner conflict. So it just begs the question of how exactly is he going to re- uh, resolve that? At some point, if he really cares about these things and he, his his remorse over these things and, and whatever, if that really is a part of some inner core within him that is still somehow redeemable in some way, shape, or form, then you are talking about a, a moment of redemption that could potentially come on down the line, which, given that he's a guy who's done a lot of bad stuff, puts him in the realm of having to make a sacrifice uh, along some sort of path to redemption. But interesting to see where they're going with uh, with X5, who is not a character, again, that I was counting on for much of anything in this show, but continues to be one of the highlights of it. Yeah, it was... Um, it, B-15's face kind of says it all, because, I'm, oh, yeah. again, I, I'm still like, huh? And so, yeah, I was... Uh, I'm kind of... At this, at this point, I'm still in shock. I'm still just like, I can't believe they just, they just did that. And I'm just kind of because it, and now that he has wiped out people, right? So I'm just kind of like, so I'm oh, kind of with her. Yeah, it's how know? they did it. It's the sound effects. I mean, that honestly, Kate Dickey being in that scene makes a lot of sense because you know she's from the realm of of Game of Thrones, and so um, that's it's the type of sequence. Although in Game of Thrones, they would show it; they wouldn't just yeah. have you uh, hear it well, and, a, yeah. and read it on other characters' faces. But it was a, a particularly brutal scene, and that's why you know they. They do a good job of giving you some these smaller, faster scenes that give us a little bit of recovery time that we desperately need before everything uh, before everything melts down. But as we continue on, uh, they everyone discovers that Victor Timely is gone. Miss Minutes is back. Sylvie realizes that if Miss Minutes is in play, uh, Ravona Renslayer must be behind this as well, whom Sylvie just left alive. So you got to wonder how Sylvie's feeling about it in that moment. Loki, meanwhile, is also starting to recognize what moment this is because he's already lived through it once before time slipping in the future and he also comes to the correct conclusion that they're trying to take over the tva which means they have to keep the tva working which means they must all still be there and but they still need to retrieve victor timely because he's the only one who has the temporal aura that will authorize them to open the blast doors and carry out the rest of their plan which brings us back into the war room uh Funny line from Victor Timely of, thank God you're both okay. And then also Timely having something up his sleeve, really basically stalling for time in his conversation with Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes. And as our heroes are working their way through this situation, we find ourselves in an elevator with Sylvie, which obviously lets us know where we are. Loki was already kind of figuring it out in the scene before, but now we are absolutely sure of it, that we are bringing us up to that future from episode one that Loki had time slipped into. Funny moment there where Sylvie hot wires the impossible crazy TVA elevator and she sums it up by saying that she's pretty tech savvy. That I thought was funny. And then we get to everything's going on and we're cutting to Loki, but it's not Loki and what he was just wearing throughout this episode. It's Loki wearing what we saw 
in the time-slipped future in episode one, and we're seeing all of that play out. And of course, and then we, we get to the moment we remember from that future in episode one, lo- the phone ringing, Loki at the elevator doors as Sylvie prized them open. And there was that question of who pruned Loki? Who sent him back through the temporal loom to get him to solve the time-slipping issue that was there in episode one? Well, it was Loki all along. Loki actually pruned himself as he saw it unfolding. And remember, the present-day Loki now had picked up that time stick. So that solves uh, that solves that mystery and answers that question. I thought this sequence was really cool. I love the way that it brought us up to date with the time-slipped future that we saw in episode one. And it also, based on what happens by the end of this episode, kind of helps explain why Loki didn't slip any further into the future than this, because is there a future after this? I mean, there is. We just don't know what that's going to look like as an audience yet. But uh, also, I, I think that the way all of this played out was was really, really cool. Again, playing into that future. And I also like that we've caught up to that future moment in episode four, not in episode six, in episode four. So we go into these last two episodes now with no idea what's going to happen, no glimpse of what the future was. We have caught up to what was previewed for us in episode one. So that I thought was great. And then to answer the question of who was on the phone, because it's very ominous and they treat it that way all the way up until they pick up the phone and it's OB. Um, so it's not there. There is no threat there. It's just OB wondering what they're doing. And then they have to solve the Miss Minutes problem. How do they get her out of the system? Well, they have to reboot the system. But that also means disabling the safety protocols that prevent people from using magic in the TVA. So turn it off, they shout, which obviously sounds strategy. Um, Miss Minutes goes offline. We see back in the war room. And her last words are uh, wanting to say something to Victor. And she says, you'll never be him before she resets to a very analog looking version of a very crude early version of Miss Minutes before she completely disappears. Interesting to see that Miss Minutes still has some reverence for he who remains. So despite this whole, we don't need him, maybe we never did. There's still a part of Miss Minutes that doesn't maybe doesn't care about this version about Victor Timely, but does care about the version of he who remains that she knew and still reveres him to some extent and wants to make sure that if she's the last thing she says is to let Victor Timely know that he'll never be him. And she doesn't even know how right she is. And we don't even know how right she is based on the way the rest of this episode is going to unfold. Victor Timely won't even get the chance to be he who remains or anything close to it. But yeah, this whole sequence, uh, Paul, I, I thought was great from catching us up to that future from episode one to the uh, the departure for now of Miss Minutes. No way she's gone forever, um, but at least I would be shocked if we don't see Miss Minutes again. But all of this I, I thought was really great, and I think it did a good job of we had a, a couple scenes to kind of ease our way out of the very intense sequence with Ravona Renslayer and General Docs. But now we're ramping right back up and with just the the pacing of this episode is so well done. And it is just kind of this mad dash to the finish, which we're not there yet. But that sprint, like literally and figuratively starts here in this sequence. Yeah, man, I got to tell you, there is I, the, when Miss Minutes goes away and she's like, oh, you know, she's she's drifting yeah. apart, whatever. Um, 
because it, 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 well we've and that also part. victor timely thinking that she is mocking his stutters and stammers initially and saying that you know mocking is not necessary that was also a little funny bit in there yeah and i when she says you'll never be him and i i, I thought that was very interesting um and, and the reason why i say that because it kind of goes back to my further point from the last episode where i said i i think miss minutes is only is and I think they can get around this a certain way, but I think Miss Minutes is specifically with only with he who remains. I don't think it's going to be a consistent, like same little cartoon character that we see. I think there's going to be an alter alteration of different versions of Miss Minutes slash whatever AI thing that uh, the thing of Richards or whatever Kang, Victor Timely, whatever that version has Immortus they'll have their own AI assigned whatever they are a part of. And I think that she's part of that. And so it makes a lot of sense that like she, as she's going away, she's like, Oh yeah, by the way, I'm a evil, evil thing. And you'll never be what I, who I served or whatever. Right. Who I loved. And I thought it was very like, and that's on the way out. Like she's kind of treating him like, Oh yeah, you're the, you're the, they're the contingency plan. And then on the way out, she's like, Oh, by the way, you suck. Yep. And then you're never going to be him. I'm like, dang, dude. Like, so to me, it kind of emphasizes that. Yeah. If there's stri- one thought I can leave you with, it has to be how little I think of you. Exactly. So I think there is a, in my opinion, it does kind of give credence to, to me. I'm pro- at least I'm projecting that to myself, um, to that idea that it, she's strictly to that version. And we'll see if, if I'm right about if it's different versions or different characters, but yeah, I like the idea that this can be strictly like, no, no, I don't serve only serve one. And that was a cool, um, this kind of, again, it was, cause I wasn't expecting it. You get this whole vindictive evil AI. It looks very sweet and cute. And then like you get that and you're like, Whoa. So, um, yeah, I, I loved all that. And, um, yeah, I love the whole Loki, you know, pruning himself. Uh, again, very Back to the Future. Love that. That was great. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great little little touch. I love all that that all that uh, flashback, flash forward stuff. Yep. And so, with the system being rebooted, the lights going out, and Loki and Sylvie free to use their magic, and X Five just so happens to be sent out in the hallway to investigate what's going on, leaving Timely and Renslayer back in the war room. Then we see that uh, we get a, a great line there in the hallway where Loki is asking X5 if he fancies a rematch. And then that's really just a setup for Sylvie to enchant X5. The delivery of that fancy a rematch line was so good. And I love it when you can just hear, at least I can, and I think, every, I think most of you listening to this can hear it in Tom Hiddleston's performance. He's enjoying that. Loki's enjoying that. The character and the actor are really enjoying it. And there's just been those little moments. And that's the op- the type of opportunity that X5 or Bradley just continues to afford Loki to slip into that villain mode, to slip into that god of mischief type of mode where I think Loki has outgrown a lot of that and has graduated to these larger more meaningful and and hopeful responsibilities for himself but it's still kind of fun to have uh, have that mischief in there and he when there is a a chance to do it for a valid purpose then he will he'll revel in it a little bit and uh that that was there that came through in, in the delivery of that line which i just thought was a lot of fun but then uh, the enchanted X5 being controlled by Sylvie 
re-enters the war room, and then uh, ultimately prunes Renslayer, just grabs Renslayer by the hand. Didn't think I would see you again so soon, because that's Sylvie who didn't think she would see Renslayer again so soon. Prunes Renslayer, which she did not do last week. And I think it's important to point out that obviously it's a very different moment here, that she made a decision last week that she was going to forego vengeance on Renslayer and just give Renslayer what she wanted to put her, give her a seat at the end of time. But now she realizes that may have been a strategic error because Ravona Renslayer doesn't just want a seat at the end of time. She really wants that power and that control. And so at this point, Ravona Renslayer has to be stopped. And also, I'm sure a part of Sylvie realizes that, you know, Renslayer... She may ultimately survive the void, but ultimately the odds are also stacked against her, but needs to be pruned, needs to be eliminated uh, in order for Sylvie to move forward and for Renslayer to stop trying to take over the TVA. So something had to be done about Ravona Renslayer, and Sylvie took uh, took that action. And so we'll have to see with Renslayer. We know what happens when people are pruned, they go to the void, and I, I do maintain that if Mobius and several variants of Loki can survive in the void... Renslayer can too, so I don't expect that to be the last that we heard of her. But still, a shocking moment to see like see how quickly all of this escalated. That we went from Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes kind of joining forces and getting ready to hatch their plan to their full scale assault, all the way to the point where they are both eliminated, albeit probably temporary for each of them. But to see them really making big moves and then quickly moved off the board all in this episode and it all makes sense it doesn't it for me anyway my experience watching it it didn't feel rushed it didn't feel like they just crammed a bunch of stuff in there they they did there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of things happening in this episode but it all feels earned and it all makes sense within the pace of the story it all just fits so well despite how much they're doing in this episode this is more than you should be able to fit in a 50-minute episode, and we're, there's still more to come that we haven't even talked about yet, but they fit so much into this, and it all still feels like authentic within the, within the pacing of the story and how the characters would act and, and respond to one another. So I'm totally on board with this scene and very much looking forward to catching up with Renslayer in the Void and seeing where she goes from there. You know, I, I want to say that they cram a lot in here and you think that like it's it's they throw they throw a lot at you. But again, I think it's all purposeful because they gave you so much exposition and great character moments. Yeah. That all of a sudden, like it's it, everything is hitting us at all. Like if you wrote at, it all out on a list, I would say it's too much to put in one episode. And yet in the way they put it together, it fits. Yeah, it fits perfectly because I think it's the way the pacing is of like the big you get the the massive, you know, murder and then it's like a beat, like you said, and then you get Miss Minutes off the board, Raven, you know, Ravona Renslayer off the board and, you know, and so on and so on. So you're starting to get hit with like, oh, like things are happening. Like so Miss Minutes, a big thing off the board. Right. So once they figure that out, take her out. You're like, oh, OK, that's interesting. And then. Ravona gets taken off the board again. I know it's, it's prune, right? But you're like, Oh, okay. Like she's out of the, you know, you kind of eliminated that whole threat. Okay. Uh, what's happening now? So I, at this point, they're setting you up for like, Oh, like things are happening. Like we're, we're getting stuff done. Like, what does that, what does that mean? That's the first thing you think of. Right. And that's where I start, you know, before I was like, Okay, great character moments. Oh, everyone dies. What the hell? And then it's like, wait, Miss Minutes is gone. Oh, wait, R- Ravona's gone. It's like at this point, my I'm starting to get to the edge of my seat. Like, 
all right, like what's what's happening here? Like you're you're kind of, well, I'll just set you up from there because that to me at this point I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like I I was one thousand percent like invested in like staring and on edge of my seat like. Okay, something's gonna happen here. This is nuts. No, and it's very much by design because, as you said, it's something's gonna happen here, right? You just get that sense because what you're aware of, or may or may not be aware of, easier after the fact to be aware of it is what's happening here in this moment. Is big moves are happening so fast and so frequently, and especially as we get towards you know the closing minutes of this episode, it's very intentional. It's designed because it's meant to knock you off balance. You're not supposed to be ready for any of this. And it's just, and you, and I think also the fact that Miss Minutes and Ravona Renslayer are moved off the board and more likely, I think, to be temporary than permanent, but let's go ahead and say at least sidelined for now in significant fashion is that I think you already kind of think as a viewer, that's enough. Those are big things. Big things have happened in this episode. So we're probably moving our way toward maybe the comfort of some resolution, but we don't know because we don't really feel very steady because we didn't expect a lot of this stuff to be unfolding the way that it has been. So as I said, it just, it it knocks you off balance and you're hoping that maybe your feet will settle and you'll find solid ground again, but you're not going to get that opportunity. So in the, in the sprint to fix the temporal aura, a good line of uh, which way wizard as uh, Victor Timely doesn't know which way to go as they're trying to make their way back. X5, the enchantment wears off, returns to himself. What does that character do now? If he can even do anything, if anybody can do anything after the end of this episode, that'll be an interesting interesting question to see where they go from there. But for fixing the loom, we get the temporal aura scan for Victor Timely. It's accepted. I am kind of wondering what that voice was because it wasn't Miss Minutes accepting the temporal aura scan because obviously Miss Minutes was gone. So now I'm curious as to that voice. But I mean, maybe it's nothing and not meant to be anything. But the scan works, and then Loki does volunteer to put the suit on as the blast doors are open to go ahead and install the uh, install the throughput multiplier. But Timely volunteers because he's got to be the one to do it because if anything goes wrong out there, he was the one who might know how to fix it because he knows how all of it works. And then you're thinking, okay, we're we've we've got everything in place. All the characters are in place. This is going to work out, right? We're even sort of building Victor Timely. Uh, building up this, it seems to be building up this hero moment, him talking about time to be brave and, and tempting us as an audience with this hero moment. And then as the doors open and he's ready to sprint out into action, it is instant, instant spaghettification of Victor Timely. And he's just gone. And they do really make him look like he turned into spaghetti on, on his way out. And it looked very painful also on his way out. And then that's it. There's nothing else to do. And as the characters like us are reeling from what we all just saw, the meltdown happens. And great performances by the actors, great job in you know them filming this, of showing the different reactions to it, of uh, even Mobius just kind of almost standing at the ready, like he's trying, like he's almost ready to sprint into action, but has no idea what to do because there's nothing to be done. And then you have the emotional reaction. I mean, they're all emotional reactions, but you see B-15 knowing what's coming and seeing that. You see OB almost in disbelief that this thing that he knew was inevitable if it didn't get fixed is actually happening. Sylvie registering this and everybody just wondering, what do they do now? What do they do now? And Loki sums it all up. 
I don't know. And he just looks out at the temporal loom as it just collapses in on itself. And we see it just bubbling up. We see the meltdown trigger and it's just advancing toward our heroes. And we close um, looking right into Loki's eyes as they tear up a little bit. And he's understanding. And I think for Loki, it's not tearing up because he's afraid of his impending death. He's tearing up because he believes that they failed and what this means and that there's not going to be any safety for anyone. Uh, all the lives that he thought they were working to spare, all of that is going away. Um, and he's just in complete disbelief that as they all are struggling between all of this of how to accept this moment by, oh, but also it being impossible to accept this moment, all of them trying to be com completely reeling from this and also trying to process that which is impossible for them to process. Incredible performances, incredible camera work, great job on the visual effects, showing the temporal loom and the meltdown. That looked outstanding. Certainly looked like they spent a whole lot of money on it. Whatever they did spend, it showed up on screen. Looked, uh, really looked incredible. And the way this episode ends, you know, we close out, we cut to black on Loki's eyes, and it even takes a couple extra seconds, a couple extra beats there before the credits start. And just an unbelievable, shocking ending that is, you know, it, it provides that credibility to this is what we were afraid of. This is what we've been trying to prevent or our heroes have been trying to prevent for these uh, these four episodes up until this point, which basically serve as the first two acts of a, you know, a three act season at two episodes apiece for the second season of Loki. And it's just incredible to watch it happen because most of the time our heroes Whatever they're afraid of, it doesn't ultimately happen. I mean, maybe this would bring this would harken back to something like Avengers Infinity War, where it ends on the heroes losing. That's kind of what this feels like, except even then, it has a unique feeling unto itself with the way all of this transpires. And it's so it's just a devastating and shocking ending for this episode. And I, I loved it and hated it at the same time. I love it because of how much it made me hate it because of what it means for our characters. But I have no idea where this goes next, Paul. And I mean, to be interested to hear your thoughts on this. But what I what I love about what I also love about this is there have been parallels in the the pacing of season one and season two. There have been these parallels where if we look at season, the way the, the second episode of each season ends with some sort of bombing of a timeline, be it a sacred timeline or branch timelines. And then episode three, instead of being entirely on a different planet, on Lamentis in episode three of season one, we're in a completely different time for 1893. And uh, we're on Earth, but in a completely different time with 1893 for the third episode of the second season. And then, or, and then remember the fourth episode. What happened in the fourth episode last time? We had shocking deaths or prunings with Mobius and Loki, wondering what was going to happen there. And the TVA, here the TVA was completely dismantled. Like the TVA literally falls apart at the end of the fourth episode. Well, figuratively, it was the myths around the TVA that were falling apart with the timekeepers in the fourth episode of the first season. And then again, the fourth season ends with a death or pruning of Loki. But what they did in the fourth episode of season one that they didn't do this time, this time there is no safety net. They bailed us out last last year or last season at the end of the fourth episode because Loki was pruned, but then we actually got to see him show up again in the, we didn't know it was called the void yet, but in the void in the mid credit scene. And we were promised a really fun, exciting journey into mystery because there's classic Loki, there's alligator Loki, there's kid Loki. 
we're about to have a whole lot of fun. We don't know where we're at. We don't know what it all means, but at least we've had a glimpse into what's going to happen next week. That's what we had with season one. We do not have that after the fourth episode of season two. We are completely stranded in this temporal meltdown, and we have to sit there and live with it for an entire week, although as we record it, just five more days, thankfully. But we have to live with this moment for a while now, and it was a perfect ending to this episode to be shocking and devastating, and there is no... we. The only hope comes from just our external knowledge that we know there are two episodes left, but we don't have a glimpse of where this goes from here. I don't want a glimpse of where this goes from here. If they put out any marketing material for what's gonna, what these next two episodes are going to look like, I'm going to try my best to avoid it at all costs because I don't want to know where it goes from here. And I have a hard time even speculating, Paul, where it mm-hmm. goes from here. I'm, I'm even right now, I'm still less concerned about I'll in due time. I'll watch the fifth episode and see what happens next. But for now... I'm just very appreciative of this outstanding episode from start to finish. And wow, what a finish that cements its status as a as a doozy, again, being the technical term. Just what an ending to a, an outstanding episode. Yeah, this was a pretty much I, I was in complete shock when he turned us to, to spaghetti. Like I laughed out loud and also my jaw dropped because I was not expecting that. And I think we all thought. And that's kind of what I think the, the brilliance of having so many different variants is that you, you kind of can do that kind of stuff with them, like with, with a major character and, and, and know they can bring him back. And, but still like Matt, it's still shocking, right? You're like, Oh my God. Um, I, I was blown away of how great and how, again, all those beats of like crazy things happening. Yeah. And then that happens at the very end. It's, well, it was I was expecting there might be a twist there, but I figured the twist was they're setting him up to be so heroic. Right. Be, time to be brave. All of this, that this is going to be the moment where he takes over. This is going to be the moment where he seizes control of the TVA again. Like there'd be some betrayal out there, not he's instant spaghetti. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, was, I just I was blown away. And I I just want to say that I have no idea where this goes. I assume they're all pr- they're kind of pruned. It's like I feel like that whole thing is a giant pruning. Maybe I don't yeah, know. Like maybe. that's what that's what I thought. I have no, and that's the beauty of it. I think they're the brilliance of this episode is it leaves you in a sense of like you have no idea where it's coming and where it's going. And part of me, my and this is like I don't think this will happen, but I would I want this to happen because I'm a I'm a comic book nerd and I just love this is a total comic book thing, comic book thing to happen would be like the actual like real Kang to like be the one to like kind of like come in, save the day, quote unquote, Sean. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, like you must be the good. You're like, you're timely. You're good nature. You saved us. It's like, yes, I saved you all. And then all of a sudden it's like, actually, I'm going to conquer you. Bam. And it's like, you know, you leave on an end note of, of something like where the last end of the episode is Kang is now setting up the multiverse war and all that stuff. So that's what, right. That's where I love it to go, but I don't think it's any, I'm not going to go Mephisto on that. Yeah. Um, I have no so, idea, but I'm, I have no idea. I'm, I, that's, that's what I I'm love happy to have no idea. Exactly. I'm it's really insane. happy to live in this space of like, I don't know what's going to happen. And to see, I mean, again, to see it end in defeat. Cause like Loki, you just always believe they're going to fix the temporal loom and it's going to work out. And look, there's still two episodes left for things to work out. But I'll say this. I mean, I, I compared the ending to, like I said, the 
The other famous Marvel ending where things end in a defeat for the heroes and a loss is Infinity War. I mean, thankfully, we don't have to sit for a year figuring out how the heroes are, are going to come back from this. But I said, it's only similar. It's the similarity is mainly in the whole idea of the, the heroes losing. Obviously, as I said, there's a lot that makes this very unique to the world of Loki, but it's also going to challenge everything, right? The Whatever happens after this will also inform that continuing debate between Loki and Sylvie because there will be the belief that they had to prevent this from happening or everything would go bad. Well, what happens after this? Does everything go bad? Does everything kind of work out? Are we going to catch up with people on the back on the sacred timeline or branch timelines and they'll have to find some way back to each other? I don't know, and, and I'll stop speculating there. I'll, I'll cut myself off because I, I really don't know where it's going to go. But I love being in that space. As fun as it is to kind of speculate and, and think about where things might go, and, and that obviously that speculation can be informed by what we've seen in the MCU in the past, sprinkle in a little bit of, what we, of how we've seen things unfold in, in the comic books over the years, and all of that is really, really fun. But it's also incredibly fun to just sit there in this space of not knowing and just be completely knocked off our feet by the end of this episode of Loki. And, and I love that this is the fourth episode. I mean, this would have been an incredible cliffhanger for the end of a season, uh, but I'm so glad that's not where we're at, that Loki comes right back next week and we will see where it goes from here. But I, as desperate as I am to, you know, get to that fifth episode uh, five days from now and, and and see where it goes from here. I also am perfectly content to just sit in this space and continue to enjoy this space of not knowing where this is going to go and just sit for a moment and appreciate where we are at at this point in the season of Loki and how good it's been up until this point and specifically this episode what a special and remarkable piece of storytelling that it is that I said, as I was saying before, and it bears repeating, so here I go, it really does capture a lot of what has been so good, so great about this series throughout its 10 episodes thus far. A lot of the things that I've just loved so much about this series, so many different things that I have loved about this series, and there's so many different things that it has done so, so well. It brings them all in and does some new things that it hasn't done, like the scene, of course, with General Docs and, and other things that were just in this this ending moment that's goes a step beyond what we've seen with all the crazy time travel, uh, you know, fun and shenanigans of this series. Now it goes into time travel tragedy with what we get at the end of this moment. It's all just done so incredibly well. It's so well thought out. It's so well written, it's so well acted, it's so well executed from top to bottom. The craft in this series, be it the physical craft of the sets, digital craft of the visual effects, it is all just done so incredibly well. And I, I really appreciate all of the, the incredible amount of hard work that would have gone into this series and this episode has had so much thought. And then to take those thoughts and actually execute them as well as they have been throughout the show, throughout this season, but particularly in this episode. I mean, this this really is a standout moment of MCU storytelling with this fourth episode of Loki, where they call it Heart of the TVA, and um, it's the perfect title for this episode because this is the episode where the TVA loses its literal mechanical heart because that's what the temporal loom was, as Obi described it to us. But even beyond that, 
It's uh, Heart of the TVA. It's an apt title because we're also questioning and examining the heart of the TVA figuratively, morally, uh, philosophically with the debate that continues between Loki and Sylvie. It's working so well on so many different levels, and I'm just happy to continue appreciating it, well, for a lot longer than the next five days, but particularly in this window where we, we sit in this space of having no idea what comes next. Man, I am, uh, yeah, I have no idea where it's going. I love it. And uh, this is a great episode. A fantastic episode. This, this series has been phenomenal. The season has been phenomenal. I can't wait for next weekend. Uh, I, to be honest, Sean, I, I, I just want to see Kang in this. I, I, I really want to see the real, like what we got in uh quantum mania or a version of that version of Kang. Cause I think like, like you said, either he's dead or whatever, but there's a lot of Kangs we yeah. know in Quantumania. So. Honestly, I have I have no wish list for these last two episodes. I'm That's just uh, I just really want to see where it goes. But again, happy to not know for now. Uh, before we wrap up, I do want to extend our condolences to the friends, family, and loved ones. Anyone who knew, and loved, and, and cared for uh, Diana Giorgiuti, a a visual effects producer who passed away this week. Diana worked on a number of Marvel Studios projects, including Thor, Captain America, The First Avenger, Thor The Dark World, um, Ant-Man, uh, Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Kevin Feige said about Diana, quote, Diana was a fantastic producer, someone who understood what needed to be done to make every shot great. She will be dearly missed, not only at Marvel Studios, but across the industry, end quote. And also uh, a quote from Marvel Studios head of streaming Brad Winderbaum saying, quote, Diana was such a beautiful, warm, nurturing person. I first worked with her on Ant-Man and what struck me then and since was how supportive she was of everyone she worked with, end quote. So once again, our condolences to the friends, family and loved ones of Diana Giorgiuti. We, are, of course, are deeply appreciative of her work on the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we are appreciative of everyone who works so hard to tell great stories like the one we just saw this week and uh, just continue to delight and entertain us and move us as fans of these wonderful stories. And that is where we will wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Thank you all for your continued support by just listening to this. Thank you for the support that some of you, that many of you have offered via your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. And we will thank in advance anyone who uh, takes the time to do that. You can check out more from us and more MCU conversation on Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts and Patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. You can follow along with us on our socials at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please check me out on my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge, and subscribe and go like a bunch of videos. Check them out. Uh, we uh, just went through Immortal Hulk. I said, said that last time. We just did some cool Halloween recommendations, which a number of Marvel comics make it up on there. So check that out. And then next week, we uh, start uh, a little tease of a little Batman project I might be a part of uh, next month. We'll keep your ears out for that and your eyes maybe a little bit. But next week, I'll do a kind of a quasi uh, episode covering. I'll give you a little of a hint. The Killing Joke is a part of it. So considered an alpha episode, but uh, I haven't read. I just finished reading The Killing Joke the, a second time in my life, just about right before the show, Sean. And that was very interesting. So uh, we'll see what happens. But Wednesday is going to be crazy. So we'll just leave it there. And you can follow me on Instagram threads and X, formerly Twitter, 
at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.